we probably had 250 faculty working on AI that were already here. So we've done everything we can to make sure that our faculty and AI meet one another and other faculty who want to learn AI have a chance to talk with them and meet them as well to create a sense of community. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hello, hello. Liking the bright shirt today that nobody else can see, but I'm assuming you're in a dapper mood. <laughs> Always. We are joined today by David Reed of the University of Florida. Thanks for being here, David. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dr. David Reed is the Associate Provost for Strategic Initiatives at the University of Florida. He has been a driving force in the university's AI initiative which began when the university was gifted academia's fastest AI supercomputer, worth over $65 million. Reed has led the university's effort to expand AI throughout the university, including creating and overseeing a dozen AI working groups. The University of Florida's goal is to provide AI education to any student, regardless of their major or previous exposure to computer programming. The University of Florida created a university-wide undergraduate certificate in AI, so that students can layer AI education on top of their current major. This dramatically increases the number of students getting AI experience, as well as the breadth of disciplines in which they are being trained. Reed established and currently leads the Artificial Intelligence Academic Initiative Center, AI Squared, which supports the training of AI faculty, new AI course development, and student engagement in AI. The AI Squared Center also oversees a five-year, multi-million-dollar project to expand AI offerings at the University of Florida. Reed and the AI Squared Center are taking this innovative model of AI education to K through 12 districts, community and state colleges, and other universities, and to existing workers through professional development courses. The University of Florida sees this broad model as the only model that can scale to meet the AI workforce needs of the nation. Before leading the AI initiative, Reed was a National Science Foundation-funded scientist studying genomics. We are thrilled to welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast, Dr. David Reed. This is the second opportunity that I've had to speak with David, and my favorite trait about him to date is that no matter what the question is or what we're asking him to do or how we're asking him to collaborate, he always says, I'm ready, let's do it, let's go. Every time, let's have another meeting. Sure, <laughs> always open for collaboration. So it makes so much sense at why the University of Florida put him in a unique position to be leading something that others might find very intimidating. And that is this AI across the curriculum initiative. So makes sense to me. We're gonna explore that a bit further in this two-part series. But for now, we are gonna enter into a get acquainted section. And Brad, if you could kick us off with that'd be great. Sure. Okay, David, what's a hobby or skill you've always wanted to learn, but haven't yet? I, I think it has to be languages. I took German in high school and a little bit in college. I've been to Germany once, but I would really like to hone in on learning better French, Spanish, and probably at least one other language. But where am I going to find the time? Uh, true. Yeah. And, and really, unless you have a chance to practice, 
and, and talk to people who speak that language. It's an uh, artificial exercise. Yeah, I've never taken a sabbatical. I need to do that, and I need to do it in a Spanish-speaking country. Absolutely. Yeah. Preferably yeah. maybe on a, an island off the coast or I something did exotic. I did a decade's worth of work in uh, the Bahamas. Of course, they speak English, but I've already been on the beaches for a long time. I can do it again. I'm well acquainted. <laughs> We're teaching my daughter. She's just started to read. And Dolly Parton has a, a program where she mails free books to kids. And it's beautiful because she mails them uh, with English on one page and and Spanish on the next. And so my daughter now is catching that I'm not reading the Spanish part. And she's been saying, so what does this say? What does this part say? You keep skipping words. And I'm cool. like, yeah, that's because your mom doesn't know that language. <laughs> so wow. I'm with you, David. That's great. Okay. What's a movie that you can quote lines from? Oh my gosh. Anything from Monty Python or <laughs> the, the Princess Bride. So happy. Yeah. Monty Python for sure. <laughs> so David, you'll have to watch the series of videos on Netflix, I believe, where there are interviews with the various characters of Monty Python, how they got together, where they went to school. All it's amazing. <laughs> I've seen it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you could eliminate one chore or task from your life forever, what would it be? Recording podcasts. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Choice. I'm joking. At home. <laughs> As silly as this sounds, it would be loading and unloading the dishwasher. We're thankful to have them. We don't have to wash dishes by hand anymore, but I hate that job. And then at work, I would say endless writing. I never knew how much I was going to be typing and writing when I was a kid. This is crazy, but <laughs> we can all dream. Oh, good answers. So in our digging, we were we we're trying to see what did David Reed do before leading this initiative on AI? And we're including this as a getting acquainted question because it's a little different than AI. So tell us how you got into your original field of study. Sure. Yeah. So my job before this, and I still have tenure here at the University of Florida, is the curator of mammals at the Natural History Museum. I do genetics and genomics on mammals and parasites that live on mammals. So when I was talking about work in the Bahamas, we spent a decade looking at bats in the Bahamas, studying their genetics and genomics and looking at how populations change over time. And they change a lot because of sea level rise and sea level fall. And so there were big reasons for asking these questions. But the reason I got into genetics and genomics was because you could collect so much data so quickly to answer these really interesting questions about the environment or evolution or history. And it was a way to get at complicated questions with an enormous amount of data. And that's the link that got me into artificial intelligence because you have to have a lot of data or at least AI works best when you do. And I think that's a good lead in to our primary set of questions for this two-part series because when we promote podcast episodes right now on AI, most people are thinking generative AI, ChatGPT, BARD, Bing, all of those. But the reality is the University of Florida entered into a space where they were doing AI acro across the curriculum and it wasn't specific to generative AI, right? It was yeah. artificial intelligence of all kinds, which really brings in that link between your background. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We were working on a project here where we had to assemble 450 genomes. Uh, and that takes an enormous amount of computing power. 
And it was right around the time that the University of Florida got Hypergator AI, its big AI supercomputer. And we were astonished at how fast the computer could put together 450 different genomes using this new technology. And I was already working on AI at the time when we finished up that research, but man, is it a game changer. It is so much faster. So how large is a supercomputer? <laughs> yes. So ours is the largest that's owned by a university, so far as we can tell in the world. It's the 40th fastest AI supercomputer on the planet. And of course, the really big secret ones aren't cataloged for speed. So there's secret ones that we don't know about that are faster than ours. But for the ones that are recorded and tested, uh, ours is 40th in the world. And so it's big. It takes up an entire building. It's got special cooling, special power, special backup generators. I tease people that when they turn it on full force, that the lights at the airport start to dim, but that's not really true. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but it's enormous. And so the work that you might do on your laptop or desktop computer, it would take you a hundred years to do something on that computer that we can do in a couple of days on Hypergator AI. Now, I read somewhere that you took a $65 million pay cut so that the <laughs> university could buy this computer. Is that true? I am incredibly generous. That is not true. <laughs> but yeah, so what a great stroke of fortune to have an alumnus who went on to co-found NVIDIA and, and gift that to the University of Florida. But I also put a lot of props to our provost who said, if you donate this machine to us, we'll teach AI across the full curriculum, not really having any idea how we were going to do that. <laughs> Understanding that AI is relevant to every one of our students. It doesn't matter what your major is. This is going to be a part of your life. So it's like this big truck backed up and they unloaded this computer and you thought to yourself, oops, we got to do something with this now. I'll tell you, that was exactly what happened. They brought in, I think it was 11, 18 wheelers. This was right before we took a break for the winter break. I think it was December 11th or something like that. They backed them up to this big data center and started unloading them. And they had the switches turned on and it was running in January when we came back from our winter break. Incredible. It was crazy. Yeah. So how do you back up a $65 million supercomputer? <laughs> carefully, very carefully. We have backups not only on site. So when you have a big computer like that, you partition it in ways that it's self-replicating, right? So if any portion of it goes down, it's self-replicated. But then we also back up with a cloud service that's off campus, in fact, multiple ones, so that our data are never lost. And that's a continuous process. We're backing up continually. But yeah, we have incredibly sensitive data. So there's data that's protected through HIPAA for health records. There's student records that are protected through FERPA and, and the student information that we have. So we have to have very serious data storage requirements and cybersecurity precautions in place for all of the work that we do. Hmm. I'll tell on myself a little bit, but we've had some initiatives going on right now with generative AI, with virtual reality. And I think our IT department has said, hey, now, don't forget us from the very beginning. <laughs> There's implications here. So I'm just imagining this truck showing up with a supercomputer and we forget to <laughs> phone IT first. <laughs> right, right. Look what thankfully, we have. <laughs> thankfully, they were aware. And the other oh, yeah. great stroke of luck was we have our own high-performance computing center. The, what we were gifted from NVIDIA is a, a bolt-on almost to that. It's silly to say that because it's enormous. But we had our own high-performance computing center. Luckily, we built a data center building big enough that we had room to grow. If we hadn't 
built a big enough building to grow, we wouldn't have had room for what they wanted to donate. And so we were really, really lucky that building was built out much larger than we needed. So everything would fit. So if we were to walk around your campus and just talk to random faculty members, what might they say about AI at the University of Florida? Yeah, I, I think first thing they would say is this is the first time we've really done anything that's this university-wide in terms of an initiative. So when we hired new faculty in AI, we hired across all 16 of our colleges. UF is one of those universities that's incredibly comprehensive. We have every conceivable major here. We're both a land-grant university as well as a flagship university, and so we have every program under the sun. And we've hired AI faculty across all of those breadths. And I think what people would say is, holy cow, this really took off. It started as a donor-driven, top-down initiative that became grassroots almost immediately. So our departments and our colleges know how and why AI is important to their students. So they take ownership of what that means to them, and they make the courses, and they make the certificates and the majors that suit their students, and they teach their students how to apply AI in their own special way for different colleges and, and departments. And so I think that's one of the things that they most appreciate about that is what started as a top-down initiative, now they have a lot of ownership in. So I have a project for you. You think about screenwriters and actors who are now on strike because of AI. So would it be theoretically possible for you to create actual AI faculty who teach courses? <laughs> we actually have uh, this great piece of software that we use for instructing our students. So when you take a student who knows nothing about AI and you want to start teaching them about it, we have a GUI environment that looks like a university campus. But instead of training students, you're the teacher, the students are, they're training chatbots. You can teach chatbots in classes. So we have a class about the provost office where I live. And so that translates into a chatbot that anybody in the public goes to the provost website and they ask a question like, where's the arts department? Our students who are learning AI are helping our chatbot understand these questions and where they are. So we built out this corpus of information and they just do it like it's a game. It could meet one another and synergy could start between them. But they hired one in music. They hired one in digital arts. They hired one in dance. All of these are experts in AI. They are very, in every sense of the word, an AI expert and do this craft and use AI as a part of it. So they came in with this incredible knowledge base. And now where we had almost no activity in the College of the Arts in AI, now you have a critical mass of people all working together uh, across these different schools within the college to not only teach classes, but recruit students and teach students about it and so forth. So I was really worried that we would be able to find enough people with the domain knowledge in dance or business or whatever the, the college was they were going to go into, but also have this deep AI knowledge. And to my great surprise, we found them. I think we were really fortunate that we were looking for them two and a half years ago and not now. Mm -hmm. um, since ChatGPT came into the public consciousness, I think um, people with deep AI knowledge are going to be harder and harder to find. And of course, it's true that every one of the faculty that we have hired probably gets recruited by big companies to come work for them as well. So we really want to make sure that they're welcome and that they love what they're doing here at the University of Florida. We probably had 250 faculty working on AI that were already here. So we've done everything we can to 
make sure that our faculty and AI meet one another and other faculty who want to learn AI have a chance to talk with them and meet them as well to create a sense of community. That's incredible. <laughs> so you can't throw out hiring 110 faculty. That is, that's amazing. It is. How many faculty are there across the University of Florida? That's a, a weird question. It depends on how you define <laughs> faculty, which we're not going to get into, but let's just say 5,000. 5,000 is a reasonable number. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's a big place. What was the most surprising challenge or opportunity? I don't want to frame it too much that so you have to answer it one way. Challenge, opportunity, or development that you've experienced in the process of launching this AI across the curriculum initiative? Yeah, I think before ChatGPT, one of the biggest challenges was to help our undergraduate students see the value in AI. It wasn't oh. readily apparent before ChatGPT came along. And so we had a series of videos where we would have a, a student who's majoring in business or marketing or communications, and we would explain why a student in that field might want to know AI. Now, of course, we don't have that issue. <laughs> now it, people are swarming to us and we're adding sections to classes all the time, trying to maintain full class sizes and all the students who want to take them having a seat. So now I think the biggest challenge is that we've got these courses there in high demand and we've got to probably hire more faculty in AI or train faculty that we already have more in AI than they have been so that they can teach additional courses. I know it's a lot. In terms of opportunities though, the opportunity that we have is, or I'll say it this way, if we train all of these students in formal courses and maybe research opportunities in AI or maybe internships in AI, but they're not ultimately getting jobs where they're using that, I think we failed. And so the opportunity is we've really got to do a good job of making sure that our industry partners who recruit from UF understand these extra skills, this value added skill set that our students are going to come away with that most of their recruits aren't going to have and make sure they can take advantage of that in the work that they do when they take these entry-level jobs or these first jobs at these companies. And so we've started those conversations with business and industry up to two years ago, letting them know our students are gonna look really different in a year or two. Be ready for that change. They're gonna really help your company in, in the AI field, but you've gotta be able to, to give them work that allows them to flex that muscle. Well, hey, folks, we're going to pause here, but we'll be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast, part two with David Reed of the University of Florida. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.